0: Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. For season 10 of the podcast, I am interviewing a dozen futurists about what life will be like for humans 30 to 50 years from now. Today's guest is Dr. Marku Valenius, who joins us from his home in Helsinki. Dr. Valenius is a professor of future Studies and the UNESCO Chair in Learning Society and Futures of Education. In our conversation, Dr. Valenius paints a picture of life in 2073 with the focus on how humans will reimagine our relationship with nature. Rather than just extracting resources from the earth, we will address climate change through regenerative agriculture, reforestation, and even by leaning on algae as both a food source and building material. Dr. Valenius ends the conversation by talking about how technologies like blockchain, the Internet of Things, and artificial intelligence will enable humans to become incredibly efficient with our resources in the future. Marco, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Excited to have this conversation with you. You're joining us all the way from Helsinki. I'm here in Minneapolis, so we're about eight time zones away from each other. And my first question for you is if you can paint a picture for life in 2073, what is it going to look like for humans? When we think about the
1: 50 years ahead from here, maybe the first exercise, which is good, is is to look at the 50 years back and see how different we were then. And we certainly were very different then. We, we didn't talk much about the digital space. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have this and that. And the world was not connected in the way it was to, it is today. And so the only expectation we should have is that the world will be at least, if not much more different in 2073 than it is now. And, and from that perspective, that's a kind of a, that's a starting point. And, and the second point that I'm going to make is that, well, when we look up to fifty years ahead, that that means that about two generations, if the if we calculate the average generation is twenty five years, and, and and so so again, two generation after, so so basically our sort of a grandchildren's time. And it means that in those days, we will have evolved as a human societies a lot in terms of our awareness, our consciousness, and of course, our knowledge as well. And and since we have created this new kind of a digital space, which is for the communication and learning and and enabling us to get feedback and to interact, If we are now just sort of started that, I mean, social media just created less than 20 years ago. Then we can think that, well, in 2075, this connectivity between the people, the nations are on a very different level. That's one, one thing for sure. But on the top of that, we feel ourselves very much to be like in the one boat. There is more to that. And that this more comes actually, that not only we are in this one world, but also we are seeing the same things in a very different way that we do today. Today, we're still kind of a, in our everyday life, we still pretty much live our local lives and have our local problems that are partly same and partly different, depending on which part of the world we are living. But in 2073, We have a situation where actually we have actually kind of a world consciousness. So whatever happens in the other part of the world is very knowable to us. And that makes it that whatever problems and challenges, and, and I would say also risks there are, they are felt immediately by the whole globe. Now, this is then leading to the question that, okay, what happens between now and 2073? In other words, what are the types of the issues that we are about to tackle in our human societies to make it a better place for the humans to live, which is, which is our ultimate drive, which is like what we are here for. We are, we are building the good life during Earth. We don't know exactly what's happening afterwards. We don't know actually where we come from. Here we are living this life. And 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 then the question is that, okay, is there something that really, really prevents us from living much better life than what we normally do? The immediate answer to that question is that, yes, very much so. There is the issue of relationship between the, the humans and the nature. In fact, we have now started to tackle that in the last... I would say last 20 to 30 years, even though the, the kind of other, you know, the, the first signs came much before that, how we actually tackle the question that, well, we have been here into uh, for, for building our societies, but it has come with a code of extracting the nature from nature, all kinds of things and without thinking about the consequence of our own, our own action, So that is now what we are facing our challenge with, because so much of our lives as human beings, live alone nature, is actually going down because of the natural resources and because, uh, because our wasteful. But what I'm saying is that this, that we need to be mending this relationship with the nature, which is what I see that needs to happen now in the, in, the, in the remaining 25 or so years until the 2050. So uh, this, this is still a work very much in the progress, but through the crisis, this will create a very different kind of a unity among the people.
0: Marco, in one of your papers that I read, you referenced the bioeconomy and you talk about this shift to collaborative use of nature versus extractive use of nature and I, I would like you to describe that and then I want to go into specifics around this. You talk about agriculture and forestry and algae production and biomimicry so I want to get into that as well but but can you just talk about what you mean by collaborative versus extractive? I think it's you know it might be fairly obvious but you may have some specifics that you want to pull out there.
1: Business is still run as a business but the missions and the visions of the business have to be kind of accommodated to what society wants and what type of business processes we want and how, does it, how is it reflected inside the company, how much we are giving the people to, to, to use their own, own ways of doing things rather than being very kind of a top-down run organization. Now, the same thing about moving to this more kind of a stakeholder way of looking at things is happening much more largely in our societies because we're still very much driven by the self-interest in this world. And, you know, this war in Ukraine is a very good case in point because we have on the one side, we have a guy that is only interested by, you know, basically about his own power. And he's making tremendous damage while doing that and give basically no credence for anything else. So this kind of a very strong self-interest, a national or individual self-interest, that is kind of a drive in our, our very much our society. That has to be replaced. And that is actually replacing. If you think about the responses that we have had to this war in the West, it's, it's quite amazing how much unity there has been there to deal with that. And that's, I think it's kind of a beginning because we're getting more of that type of the issues and problems. The climate change has been already mentioned, but there are many others there where we need a much more collaboration that we have actually done in the past. And, and that need to, you know, cross the national borders, local borders, regional borders, whatever borders. And then we really need to see that we are in the same boat. And this type of awareness is now growing. So it's not only that there is a necessity to mend this relationship with the nature, but it also comes out of the human experience that actually collaborating is a much more efficient way of running our societies and much more efficient way of actually how we can sustainably then kind of collaborate and use the natural resources. And and so that that is something that is slowly kind of coming into our awareness that, and my prediction is that in 10 to 20 years, this will be kind of a, the overarching sort of a rule, how we how we deal
0: with things. So there's a couple things there that are that are interesting. One is that you're talking about a collaboration with nature and being more sustainable, which you was know, is, is is pretty obvious that we need to move in that direction. But I think the other thing that you're inferring is that we need to collaborate as a human race and not just serve our own interests, our own country's interests, which means that we need a stronger, more unified governance system, and so. I just wonder what's the timeline for this sort of governance system and how can we overcome the, the resistance, I guess, from, from the status quo.
1: Now, if you, if you take an example of the United Nations as a, as a kind of a system where it's, it's been kind of a collaborative platform, the first one in, in, in the world, when you look at the recent issues, you look at the pandemic. Well, we have a a WHO as a UN organization that was was meant to be the one organ that can help in anticipating and then kind of counteracting once the pandemic came. Now, WHO is a fine organization, but its budget is is about an average hospital. So how can that type of organization possibly be up to its task? No way, Jose. So we have this kind of elements there, but it's not really at work, unfortunately. And the same happened, by the way, financial crisis, when it came 2008 and 2009, it was a great mess and there was nothing in the kind of international financial system that could kind of help to manage that. Then came a G20 at some point and it could put some things in order, but, but very little compared to what should have been actually done now. This Ukrainian war, if, if you take, again, this example, just shows that, again, the UN, what did it do? What did the, the Secu- Security Council do? Nothing. They could nothing but discuss in an absurd way, but do nothing to prevent this war- escalation of the war. So this gives a kind of a the state of the art where we are, which all of us understand is very far from where it should be. So we need a real world governance system. Now, the question is that you asked me, okay, when it's going, up, when it's going to happen? Again, I'm, I'm, my way of thinking this is that, well, if it's, it's not happening tomorrow or day after tomorrow, but it's going to also happen after this intensifying of the global crisis, which I see, unfortunately, that is coming. And the level of the consciousness as it rises through this harsh experience make us to think, no, this is not enough. You know, the UN system is not enough. We really need to have this other type of the system that is kind of a compelling system because the, the problems are global. Even the Ukrainian war is a global problem. We see the food crisis appearing, which is very far from where these guys are fighting, and so the impact of that is, is certainly global. And I would say that it takes probably 10, 15 years before we are in the situation where we really start to build this new system. But I'm absolutely certain that it will come because there is a huge necessity for that to appear. We just need to come to the point there is actually no other way but to do that.
0: I want to go go back to this idea of the bioeconomy development and the different elements that are in your paper, because I think that's really interesting and these different elements and what you think they might look like in 2073 and 50 years from now. So when we move into the
1: future, we need to see that actually the soil, first of all, is the second most important deposit for carbon after the oceans. So why don't we think that the the carbon, instead of releasing the carbon on the annual basis from the top soils, we actually add that because it's actually technically possible. We know the way how it should be done and the way all the land should be cultivated. On the top of that, that gives a self-sufficiency for the farmers. They don't have to buy the fertilizers. Even Same. Finland, you know, just last week I heard that, well, we increased the amount that we are importing fertilizers from Russia, which is really crazy at this time of, the, you know, in the history. I have been too much into the statistics, looking at the climate change to know that the changing of the energy system would, wouldn't do the trick of taking down the, the concentrations of the, of the greenhouse gases, particularly the carbon dioxide. We need to sequestrate it back. And the best way to do that is to sequester this back to the soil, of course, also more forest, yes, but the soil is a very unused way of doing this.
0: You're saying that instead of being a huge, which it currently is now, agriculture is a huge carbon emitter. This is mm. going to be a solution, a potential solution for returning carbon to, to the soil and to the ground.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, we need to see that in a way it gives a kind of a, the agriculture a more kind of a centric position in our fight against the climate change. But moreover, it would heal also very much our ecosystems, which are now deprived of the bees and, you know, all kinds of stuff that has kind of happened because of these monocultures that we have been promoting. And And, and
0: this is a a trend that's starting now. You know, you're hearing a lot more about it now. Cargill is a big egg company in Minnesota here, and they've started to invest in regenerative agriculture. It was a term that I hadn't even heard of, you know, five or six years ago, and now it's becoming quite common. So you're expecting this to be the standard operating procedure or? Absolutely. How, how when do you, how we do you go to it? the
1: 2017th that will be standard procedure. That's the way it's, it's as standard as we have the conventional agriculture today. Absolutely. What what
0: do you think about vertical farms or indoor farms or or these types of Well, that's of a part of the solution
1: to, because of course our cities are still growing and 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 we need to use intelligence in the space we have so it's kind of a way of, of doing the urban local farming and and, and certainly that that's a part of our so- solutions to the to the to the kind of a challenge of how to provide more self-sufficiency and more food security by having a local production, even in the, in the urban setting. So certainly that is one way, but, but that doesn't solve the whole issue about the, the food production. So we still need that kind of a more rural farming on the top of that, absolutely.
0: What about forestry? I know that's a, that's a big thing that you write about and talk about. And specifically if you could address the Amazon, because I think that's a, that's a Really critical piece of landmass,
1: yeah, and not only that—it's a critical piece of the landmass, but it's also the lungs of our biosphere here on Earth. And and so by cutting that, we are also cutting our lungs. And we know what happens when you take too much lungs out of your own body—you know, you're not going to breathe anymore. So basically, that forest management and more practices have to be changed, but also simply stop the deforestation which is still going on very strongly according to the present estimate estimates if you if we continue even roughly at this rate by 2050 there will be the size of the India that we we have cut the forest which means that actually there is a dramatic drop of the forest coverage and of course the earth cannot sustain that would just add enormous the to to this uh, disturbance that already comes from the greenhouse gases. But in, in the top of that, I must say that there is also another side to that. And that is that, well, you can find a huge amount of the remedies to our current diseases by investigating more closely forest and trees and, a, and, and a, it, the old trees. I'm mean, actually it's fascinating when you look at the trees, particularly conifer trees, but many other trees is like a birches. where you have those in Minneapolis around a lot. So, so they have this magnificent mechanism, how they can heal themselves. And those extracts that they use for that, that they generate that it has been shown also that they're very good for the human beings. So I think in the future, we start to find back that. I mean, Switzerland, for instance, uses extensively just the natural medicines for almost all kinds of problems that they have. And they have a very well developed uh, kind of a medicine medicinal system to support that, and and I think we are we are moving definitely to that direction where we see that the that the cures come really from there and also from from algae and, and cows. This is a hugely interesting topic, and it is actually there is a lot of currently research around that that the, the potential for algae to be used as a material, as a food, as an energy, as a medicine, because the algaes are the most complex organism in nature. And that is so fascinating. And we know just so little about it. Maybe three to 5%, I've seen some estimates. So, So in 2073, what I think is that we are extensively using them First of all, because we can grow them in a very natural way, we have, you know, there's just almost 70% of the, the, the Earth's coverage is the, are the oceans. And we can, we can not only grow them in the land, but of course, extensively in the, in the oceans. And, and not only oceans would benefit, but the human being would be- benefit as well. So that could be our source, our kind of an infinite source of materials, food and energy and so forth. A couple of that be- with this regenerative agriculture, forming a kind of a basis for, or a sustainable basis
0: for us. What, what kind of products would it be used in?
1: Well, first of all, I think maybe the most important usage for that would be actually a food. You just go to Japan and, you, and on South Korea or many other, you know, Asian countries. And they have been using that different kinds of kelp, kelp is a kind of a form of algae for centuries, and they know that it's healthy. You can also make it good tasting. we don't think it tastes good, but you can, you can make it a very nice food and it's very, very healthy. And and by the way, the kelp is also the best way to cure your land. If you if you happen to have a kelp around in the lake or in the sea and you have a piece of land, you just put the kelp there and it has all the minerals that the land needs. And so it is it is really very ex- exciting. And then the second is really also about this medicine, which I see that there, and there is a lot of research going on how much we could actually improve our human condition by, by using algae, because algae uh, kind of contains so much those, those critical trace substances and, and minerals that our bodies need. And, and, and it's, it's actually already a well-known fact, but we still don't know what more is there. So I think that if we are ever going to live for 200 years or 300 years, I don't know if that, that is a wise thing to do, but well, let's, for the sake of argument that you want to do that, then I think the, the using the algae as, a, as, a, a, as a one of the key sources of our, our, our food and nutrition would do it. That's the trick that it would do it.
0: I always kind of imagine that algae would be used as a plastic substitute, something that's biodegradable. Am I off base there? And if I am off base, is there another... it's already there
1: okay Okay. you know it was actually italians who started to test that and they were the ones that actually found out that yeah yeah you can use that as a basis so obviously yes then we get into the all these materials you can replace the steel in the future for that you can have all those very hard materials you can have a concrete which is based on the but algae, yes. Wow. And, and all of this has been already kind of attested, So we, we know it's possible, but again, we are kind of sticking to this old ways, as long as, you know, there is this kind of a system that perpetuates that.
0: Marco, is there anything else about 2073 that you wanted to mention that we didn't have a chance to talk about? some
1: people may think about okay but what's this got to do with all the technologies that we have you know what this got to do with the blockchain artificial intelligence machine learning iot all of that stuff that this is much in the headlines and you know we're you know there's a lot of going on in terms of the development how does this fit into this picture of what we have been talking i think that the The essence of those technologies that we have, we are now creating and putting enormous amount of stakes in those and investments is that they increase dramatically our resource efficiency. And the way they do that is that to create in much more intelligence in the system. So more feedback, more learning inside the system. So they really start to work as a system because most of the systems today do not work as a system. They have a very barely any kind of a feedback system. And that's why we see, you know, in the businesses that, that sometimes the corporates just don't learn fast enough and they don't learn if, if, if they don't have the systems in place where there is a communication of feedback loops and, and quick learning and the same goes through for the nations for, you know, the, the demise of the Russia is also the case in Put. So what happens is that once we start to have all these technological capabilities, which I also say that, yes, there are some threats, of course, you know, AI is taking over us, but I, I, I strongly believe that we can handle that and we can move into the direction where Actually, these technologies enable us to build this kind of a learning platform with sufficient amount of communication that help us to tackle the real issues of this world. And so, so there is a very strong connection between the raising awareness that we need to be dealing much more intelligently with our relationship with the, with the, with the natural resources and the way that we have to develop ourselves as human societies, enabling mm-hmm to us to use the capacity and the information that we have here in a much more efficient way so that we can really, again, build us ourselves as a one globe with sort of a one hope. And and these technologies will help us to get there.
0: I'm glad to bring that up because it's it's such an important topic and we are operating so inefficiently globally we are wasting so many resources i don't know what the statistic was in one of the papers that you wrote something about 70 percent of of fossil fuel heat is wasted i mean that's just incredible and in the united states here 40 percent of the food that we produce is wasted is not eaten In, in new york city there's the equivalent of 26 empire state buildings of office space that is vacant right now. We can solve these problems, but we're using our resources so inefficiently. If we want to solve homelessness, we have the space to solve homelessness. If we want to solve you know, starvation or, or food insecurity, we have the resources to to do it. We just operate so inefficiently. And I love a world where in 50 years we can start to close this gap and start to reduce this inefficiency and make it more equitable and and provide more opportunity for people around the world. That's very exciting to me.
1: One more number to that, what you already said, was that 91% of all materials that we produce and consume are being wasted. In the landfills, in the garbage bins of all around the world, only 9% gets circulated. Last week we have here in Helsinki, we had a World Circular Economy Forum that we sort of are proudly holding here. And these guys are just looking at the numbers said, oh, we're just in the beginning of that, of understanding how we actually should build the circularity in our economy, in our society. So little we do that. And that is because we don't, we haven't had the focus, we don't, haven't had the incentives and policies in place, nothing of that. We have it just producing stuff and don't think about the consequences. So this consequential thinking is the most important that we need to learn.
0: You painted a really interesting picture of what life might be like in 2073. Marco, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for your time and thank you for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. We will return next week when I interview futurist Alicia Abate, who will paint a picture of how life on Earth will change over the next 30 to 50 years with a focus on the future of work. Thank you to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.